Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah, the 61st chapter, Isaiah chapter 61, and I want to read the first four verses. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify you and praise you today for your word. God, we ask in Jesus' name that you would open our minds, open our hearts to receive that truth that you have ordained for us, that we we might walk in it. And I submit to you, Lord, that uh, you would anoint me to preach your word this day for this body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I've preached this message before. Uh, To me, it's one of the great... Uh, promise passages, one of the great messianic uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus himself, in his inaugural message after uh, being baptized by John the Baptist and being tempted and overcoming the temptation in the wilderness, when he returned to Nazareth, this is the passage that he preached from and told them as he finished the reading, today this word, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. So it's obviously crucial uh, for us understanding the new covenant and God's purposes in the new covenant. But in the midst of all that, all the background and all these uh, implications of this passage, uh, there's just a simple truth that can hit us if we'll let it as we read it. And that is, it is one of the most uplifting promises sort of word for word that we have in the scriptures that speak from God's perspective what God's desire is to work in what we would call the human condition the human plight the situation of people and as uh, they go through life whether individuals or families or families of nations entire nations it's a wonderful promise that speaks to our heart It speaks about joy, restoration. It speaks about freedom. It it speaks about um, uh, favor, God's favor. It speaks about vindication uh, of things that have gone wrong that God is going to make them right. It speaks about good news and healing for the broken heart. These are all things that at different times we think, boy, if I could buy a pill that, that I could just swallow that encompasses all of that, boy, I, I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be in good shape. Just to cover all those bases, to take care of all of those things. In that sense, this passage speaks deeply to our hearts. Who doesn't want these things for themselves or for those who are near to them, who they love 
but who are wrestling in one way or another with difficulties and just the trials and the burden of what it is to be a human being in a fallen human world. And Jesus comes speaking this, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach this truth of liberation, restoration, joy, uh, a turning from mourning and into uh, a, an uplifting, joyful experience. The thing I want to say along with that great truth, how beautiful this passage is, is the underside of the passage, and that is that the passage is also ironically scandalous and confrontational. And you say, scandalous and confrontational, why would this be scandalous and confrontational? Somebody is coming along and saying, God has anointed me to preach good news to you. And the news is all good. It's a chicken with no bones. It's just one good thing after another. Healing, freedom. Uh, really, if you understood the, what the background of the passage is, it's, it's the breaking of all debt. It's the debtor's prison. It's the liberation from uh, the slavery to debt that people could get into. So it touches on physical healing. It touches on spiritual healing. It touches on financial freedom. It, it talks about community restoration and freedom. Things that are bad are turned around. Man, why would anybody have a problem with that? Well, here's the thing about this passage. It's implied from the very first words of the passage that the entire blessing that is described, this multifaceted blessing, is all dependent on one thing and one thing alone. And that is the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God, receiving the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, applying the Word of God... Everything rides on that. The word of God is the fulcrum upon which this whole blessing balances. There's nothing else that's involved in it. Now you say, well, why is that, why is that scandalous? I'm going to tell you why that is scandalous and confrontational. Because as much as it's human nature for us to be in trouble as much as it's an, a characteristic of the human condition for us to need the restorative blessing that he is promising here, who at one time or another hasn't needed healing, hasn't needed financial liberation, hasn't needed freedom, hasn't needed God to restore your joy? This describes who we are, but something else describes who we are. God's salvation is by grace and everything in us wants to think that just can't be. There's got to be an angle. There's got to be something else to it. This thing is really just good news. It's really just free. It's really just a gift that I just have to accept by faith. You say, what, what's scandalous about that? Well, I'll tell you what's scandalous about it. It means God's blessing comes to people not on the basis of merit. It comes to them not on the basis of how long they've been in the game. It comes to them not on the basis of need. If it were on the basis of need, boy, Calcutta would all of a sudden be the richest city in the world. It's not on the basis of need. It's not on the basis of victimhood. That's a thing in our country. Oh my goodness. Right now, 
victimhood, just riding that victimhood. I'm a victim, therefore I'm deserving. That's not what the Word of God says. Look, there is no one more loving, tender, and compassionate than God. That's why he has no use for victimhood. Because you can be free or you can be a victim, but you may not do both. And God says, it's my word that will set you free. Jesus ministered. It says, he, he dealt with bondages, sicknesses, de- demonic oppression. And it says, with a word, he sent them free. With a word. He didn't interview them to find out how, you know, like a debt counseling service or like a therapist. Jesus came to confrontationally set people free. And if you don't believe, you don't understand how this works, go and read Luke chapter 4 when Jesus preached it for the first time. Remember how that passage ends? The passage ends, Jesus preaches the message, and the passage ends with the population of the town who were his friends who knew him from the time he was a baby, took him to the edge of the cliff and wanted to throw him off. Now, read the passage carefully. It's not because he claimed to be the Messiah. That's not why they wanted to kill him. Because he said, this is fulfilled in your hearing, and he began to expound upon it. That was him saying, hey, I'm, the Messiah has come, and I'm, I'm, I am he. Read the passage. It says, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. That's not what made him mad. What made him mad is he said, no prophet is accepted in his own town. And if you read the stories in the Old Testament, it was the outsiders who applied the word of God who got the blessing. And the insiders who wouldn't apply the word couldn't get the blessing. That's what made them mad. It's a scandal that this whole thing rides on the word of God. So the salvation is simultaneously very simple. As Jesus said to Jairus, who was, whose little 12-year-old girl had just died, and then, you know, the word came. He, Jairus went and got him and said, come heal my little girl. And they're on their way, and the news comes. She's already passed. Jesus turned to him and said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. That's all you have to do. Just believe. That's very, very simple. The complication isn't between us and God. The complication is can be a wrestling match in our own heart. Right? Because we, we what I've done has got to count for something. Can't I add that in? The blood of Jesus and the fact that I've done X, Y, and Z? You should have stopped at the first. That was enough. Amen? The word of God. The word of God. Now, we who've received the word and received the blessing that comes from the word of God once we internalize that, once we experience this jubilee, this, this liberation, this year of the Lord's favor that isn't limited to a calendar year, it's a, it's a timelessness that comes upon us and we walk in his freedom and his blessing, we are therefore obligated to share that truth with others. There's a powerful story from the Old Testament where Samaria is under siege and God is about to work a salvation, and you got the lepers outside the city, and they're like, man, it doesn't matter what we do, we're toast. We're, we're starving to death, we're lepers, so we can't even get into the city and get whatever meager thing is left, 
in the city. So we might as well just walk over to the enemy and see uh, what we can get from them. See if we can scrounge something over there. At least they have food. And if they kill us, they kill us. But we're dead, we're dead men walking anyway. And so when they're walking over to the enemy's camp, God makes the footsteps of these pathetic little lepers who are, you know, they're all emaciated and don't weigh anything. He makes it sound like an army and the enemy all flees and they waltz into the camp and there's all the food and there's all the riches they could possibly want. And so they're feasting and everything else and then they're hiding uh, uh, riches and they're eating some more and all of a sudden they said, you know what, we're going to be in big trouble. This is a day of, what's the word? Good news. This is a day of good news. And if we don't share the good news, judgment will come upon us. So we need to share it. So they go and they tell the rest of the city. I want you to read with me Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So this salvation that is dependent upon the hearing and receiving and applying the good news, how can they do it if they haven't believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, can you, uh, Dustin, can you play that video? This is less than a minute. I just want you to watch this video. Qué bestialidad, Dios mío. ¿Ves cómo se incendió? Vele la saña con la que están Juaní. ¡Qué bestia! Rompiendo toditos los vidrios de la garita. ¿Ves? Les dijo que vengan toditos esos de allá y que los que se fueron. Ajá. Ya se metieron a, al canal 4 y están dándose ahí duro con no sé qué. Rompiendo los vidrios. have been a mix-up. I, I didn't mean to show that video of downtown Portland. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was the capital of Ecuador about a week ago. Um, there are waves of unrest that are going through different countries in Latin America right now, and Ecuador is one of them that's suffering terribly. Um, the reasons are complicated. Um, that that's the that's the capital. And I've got other videos that were sent to me from a friend who's in the in the country. Um, why would why would I take my family to such a place? Why would I not just resign myself to take my family there, but? earnestly desire to go to such a place. Romans chapter 10, how can they believe unless they hear? 
And how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? And how can they preach to them unless they're sent? Somebody's got to say yes. Somebody, somebody has got to say yes. People say, well, there are a lot of lost people in the United States. I mean, look at Washington State. Look how secular Washington State has become. I mean, aren't there lost people here? The way God's economy on that works on this is, 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 is uh, counterintuitive to the way we think. The Apostle Paul had a deep burden. You can read about it in Romans chapter, the previous chapter, Romans chapter 9. He had a deep burden for his own people. He says, I, I, he says so strongly, he says, I wish I were cut off. It's the prayer of Moses. I wish that my name were blotted from the book of life so that they might believe. Why would he be sent out when the job in Israel wasn't yet done? Why? He was so qualified. Why did he go out? Why did he reach uh, the Gentiles? Well, for one thing, God just flat called him. God knocked him down on the road to Damascus and told him he had to. And how many think it's a good idea to do what Jesus says? But the, there's, there's something else. It reveals God's mind. God does a full court press. He wants to reach everybody at the same time. And we don't know when this part is going to be done and that part is. And, and the strange thing is the way God revealed it to him is that Israel is going to be redeemed by means of the redemption of the Gentiles. So if you want to reach your own people, Paul, you want to bless your own people, you got to go out. That's not what we would think mathematically in our minds. I don't understand the mystery of God's sending and God's calling, but I will tell you some very simple basics. When it comes to missions, it's a question of accessibility. I just checked real quick on my phone this morning. I just looked, just looked up Yelp reviews. There are a dozen evangelical churches that preach the gospel just right on the surface i know there's more than that but there's at least a dozen just boom the reviews come up just like that and camas alone just like that there are in the here in washington state and the regions of northern uh, oregon that we can hear there are at least two dozen radio stations christian radio stations that are preaching the gospel, Christian music. You can listen to any exactly what flavor of Christian music you want. You can listen to just the time. You got AM, you got FM, you got talk radio, you got preaching, you got messages, you got teaching, you got all different types of music going on. I want to tell you a very simple truth. This church building, this property right here, transplanted to Ecuador, would put it in the top 10 evangelical churches in that country of 17 million. Just the infrastructure. It's, a, it's an accessibility question. It's how common is the gospel? How quickly can people reach it? <laughs> As I shared some last week, and it's even been clarified more this past week, the situation is developing so quickly. The mission that God is sending us on is literally to redeem the educational system of the Assemblies of God in an entire country. We've got one evangelical Bible school that's recognized by the government to legally issue degrees in the entire country. 
of any group. It happens to be ours, but of any group. That means Baptist. That means, that means Christian and Missionary Alliance. That means Foursquare. That means Evangelical Free. It means anything. The only standing school is the one that we have. And all the other Assembly of God schools are, have been hung out to dry, and they're all trying to connect with that one school so that, so that they can legally issue degrees. If, they sign a, if the registrar of one of those schools signs a diploma and says, you have this degree, they can go to jail. It's that severe. It's that significant. And God has sent us to, to, to go in. Up at Northwest University, where I taught for six years, in the College of Ministry alone, there are six or seven people with PhDs in theology. They haven't even replaced me yet. I'd like to think that they couldn't replace me. but I'm <laughs> They haven't replaced me because they haven't needed to. I left a year ago. Over a year, they, they haven't needed to. Why? Because there are so many people with doctorate degrees that are willing to do what we call adjunct work, where it's contract work to teach this or that class, that they've pieced the whole thing together. They, they've got so many, they got so many people with these degrees that, they're, they're, that are knocking on their doors trying to find the job. And in Latin America, there's a famine. I'm going to ask you, I'm asking you, I'm asking you as a body that I've shared my heart with for a year, I'm asking you to open your hand to people who are poor and share me with them. Because we have in despair here. They don't have. They don't have. They don't have anybody to do it. Nobody else will go. Somebody's got somebody's to go. And they can't go unless they're sent. I'm asking you to send us. I want to share a story with you. Something that happened to us, my goodness, 20 years ago. We lived in this neighborhood and they build a, it's funny people, I see how they're building neighborhoods now. There's all this land. Anybody knows there's all this land and they're, they're building the houses right next to each other as if there's not enough. Does anybody notice that? They're like, what are you doing? You got all this land. Well, they're saving money on piping and electrical and all that stuff by putting those houses so close together and squeezing every last nickel they can out of the land. But in Ecuador, they do that because there isn't that kind of land and because there's safety concerns. And so we, we bought one of the, uh, we didn't buy, we, we rented one of these houses. It's against the mission's rules to buy a house. Um, so we, we, we rent this house on the boys' And the boys were still in school, still in high school, and uh, it just had a postage stamp lawn, just a little bitty lawn, but it had a lot of flowers, and we had papaya and banana and passion fruit and all these plants growing in the backyard. And so once you move in, then pretty soon the gardeners come around, and these gardeners are for hire. They'll let you um, um, hire them to mow your postage stamp and you don't have any place to keep a lawnmower and it's worthless to invest in one to mow your postage stamp and uh, keep your lawn and and whatnot so you pay him something um, these guys always got kind of wise to patty because uh, she would always feed them and uh, give them lemonade and everything else so they'd always come at lunchtime to really squeeze it for all it's worth um, but this one family that came it was a father and son team and the father's name was Camilo. He was just a little guy, and, and his a son's name was Alfredo. 
So Camilo and Alfredo, and they would come and, and, and do the work, and, um, you know, they did a good job, and we had a good relationship. They were honest. And so one day, oh, my goodness, uh, <clears throat> we had probably been in the city a little over a year, and Alfredo came to the gate um, to work on our lawn, and I, I said, well, where's your dad? And he said, uh, he hung his head, he said, my dad's at the point of death. I said, what, what happened? Did he get sick? He said, no. He said, um, the other night he was out drinking, and he was on his way back from uh, the bar, and uh, we live in a, this area. He named the area. It's one of the poorest areas of the city. And uh, he said, um, and a, a, a a gang of teenagers jumped him, and they beat him, and they robbed him. Um, and uh, what they stole from him was five dollars in cash and his shoes. Um, but they beat him so severely, they beat him in his kidneys. They damaged his kidneys. He said, "So we took him to the hospital, and the the hospital couldn't do any anything for him." So they just um, sent him home to die. And he's just been eating out of a tube. He's just got the IV because he can't, he can't eat anything. And I said, well, let, I want to go. I want to pray for him. So we arranged a time. Alfredo got, came to my house, and we got in our car, and we drove. He directed me to this area, and it was a very, very rough area. And I knew how poor they were because... Um, they lived on these dirt hillocks that are part of the area. And if, has everybody heard of the Nino, the Nino weather system that comes through and dumps all the water? Well, when people die uh, on the, that coast of South America, Ecuador and Peru, when they die, it's usually not drowning, it's usually mudslides. It's because they're, they're living in these shanties up on these hills and they get water saturated and then the mudslides in their sleep and they, and that's exactly where they lived. They lived in a bamboo shanty up on stilts, up on this mud hillside. And so we pulled up and literally he had to climb a ladder to get into their, their house. And I, I got up into the house. It's just a one, maybe a, there's a no, another little room off to the side, but it's just really a one-room dwelling. And there was Camilo, and he's on a bed. And he was little before, and now he's just skin and bones. He's got an IV there. He can barely whisper. Uh, his wife is there, some of his daughters, and so I shared the gospel with them. I had my Bible with me. I shared the gospel with them, and I led them to Jesus. The whole family prayed the sinner's prayer right then. The whole family came to Christ, and I laid hands on Camilo, and I prayed that God would raise him up, that God would heal him. Now, I want to tell you, I have seen miracles of healing even creative miracles of healing as a missionary on the field. Um, but I didn't get one that time. That day I didn't get one. But the Lord sparked a verse in my heart, and it's Psalm 107, verse 20. And that psalm says, And he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And so it sparked in my heart, and I asked them, I said, Do you have a Bible? Now, even the poorest people... A lot of them will have a Bible in the house. 
And they said, no, we, we don't have a Bible. And I was kicking myself because I had a whole box of New Testaments um, back in my house that were just, uh, you know, affordable, and you could pass them out almost like tracks. And all I had with me was my beautiful, leather-bound, special edition preacher Bible that had weddings and baby dedications and baptisms right in the middle. It was, I love that Bible. So I gave him my Bible, and I said, I want you to read him the word. And I, I read Psalm 107.20. I said, if you'll read him the scriptures, the word of God will go in and will heal him. Just read it out loud. I said, focus on the New Testament. Focus on Psalms. These people were completely biblically illiterate. They, they could read, but they didn't know the Bible at all. So I blessed them. I prayed again. I left them my Bible, and I went home. And after a couple of weeks, uh, Camilo came around, uh, excuse me, uh, Alfredo came around, and still his dad wasn't with him, and I said, how's your dad doing? And he said, you know, he's, he's still in a bad way. He still might die. You know, he's, he's, he's having a hard time recovering. And I said, are you reading him the Bible? The Bible I gave you, are you reading that? And Alfredo said to me, we read that for hours every day out loud. He said, they're the most beautiful words we've ever heard in our lives. That's how he described That's the words of somebody who's never read the Bible before, and now their breadwinner, their father, is on his deathbed. They're reading it to him, and that's the way he describes it. Somebody who's never read the Bible, they're the most beautiful words we've ever read. We've never even heard anything like it before. I said, well, keep reading. And I prayed for him, and he went on his way. And I want to tell you, I didn't hear anything for about another month. And one Saturday morning, about 7 in the morning, I don't know about you, but 7 in the morning on Saturday morning, even in South America, I like to be asleep still. Um, Somebody rang our bell at our gate. I said, who can that be? I get up, I go downstairs, and it's Camilo. Alfredo's dad is standing at the gate. He's well, standing on his own two feet. And I said, Camilo, what happened? How, how are you doing? He said, he said, Pastor, I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank you for leading us to Jesus. I want to thank you for giving us that Bible. He said, he said, he said, one month, two months old in the Lord, Max. He said, I was on a bad path. But God used what the devil meant to hurt me to save me. And now we're Christians. Now we're following the Lord. And I want to thank you for bringing us God's word. You know, that's a great, that's a great, great story. That's a great thing to experience. But I want to tell you, it gets even better. (laughs) Because we left Ecuador and three years later, we went back. I was there, at the, I was at the church. I preached a message, had an altar call. I was meeting, talking to the people afterwards. And I turned around, and there was Alfredo, 
Camilo's son standing in front of me. And I began to talk with him. I said, Alfredo, how are you? What's, what's, what's happening in your life? And he said, I'm a pastor. I've been called into ministry and I've gone to Bible college, continuing to study, and I'm ministering to God's people. Saints, that is what God has called us to. God has called us to make disciples who make disciples. You know, you see what's going on in these countries. There could be at any time they have to pull the missionaries. I was, when we're just at this summit in Springfield, when we're talking about this and investigating whether it would even be possible for us to go back, we met a young lady there with her husband and her baby, and um, she came up to Patty, and she looked, and she read her tag. She said, I knew that I knew you. She was just a teenager when we were together in Costa Rica in language school over 25 years ago. And uh, she and her parents, close friends of ours, went to Venezuela as missionaries. And she was raised in Venezuela and did all this work there. But now all the missionaries have had to leave Venezuela. Nobody can stay there because the situation is so volatile. And now the work is, has to be carried on remotely. That could very well happen to Ecuador. We don't know how much time we have. We have to get there quickly. We have to raise up as many workers as we can so that if and when no more missionaries can stay there, the work will function on its own. Amen. That's our goal. That's our goal. Now, I want to invite you and give you an opportunity uh, to give and participate in the work of the ministry that we're doing. Uh, I want to invite the brothers uh, to prepare uh, to take an offering. This is a missionary offering for our work in Ecuador. We've got a table that we've set up outside. There's a sign-up for our mailing list. If you want to get on our mailing list, clearly print your name. I, I, for all the studying I've done, I've never been able to decipher hieroglyphics. So um, clearly print your name, your email address, your, uh, your street address so we can send a mailing list, and um, we want to encourage you to sign up for that if you're interested, if you're interested. Otherwise, uh, I want to invite the brothers to come forward right now. Uh, Tim, will you come? Praise be to God. If you have a, a check, just make it out to North Lake Church, and North Lake will just make us one check. Um, thank you. I want to thank the leadership of the church for uh, giving me the opportunity to present our mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we give ourselves to you as a people. God, fill our hearts with compassion for those who don't have the same opportunities that we do, that so often we take for granted. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide each and every one of us into all truth and to your purposes for reaching as many people as we can through as many means as we can 
before we see you face to face. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brothers.